Now, if you'll take your Bibles and turn over to uh, Isaiah 52, which will be page 613 on those pew Bibles, uh, we're looking at the fourth servant song from the prophet Isaiah. Now, if you don't know, there's these several songs that tell of a servant to come, and we don't know exactly when Isaiah received this prophecy from the Lord, but it comes in a section of the overall book that promises hope, forgiveness, restoration, and salvation in an unexpected way after coming judgment, both for the foreign nations around Israel and for Israel itself because of their sins, the ways they would forsake God and participate in real evil. So now we pick up the prophecy of the suffering servant from Isaiah 52 and 53, starting in Isaiah 52, verse 13. The prophet writes, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. This is uh, Yahweh, God, the Lord speaking. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he's heard from us? And to whom has the arm of Yahweh been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He has no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs. He carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. With his stripes, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes or his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And Yahweh has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of Yahweh to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of Yahweh shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, 
because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. All that we have read from the Lord in both the Old and New Testament has been the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. O Lord, who gave your only Son to spare us from our sin and pay the debt we owe, by your Holy Spirit speak to our hearts this evening and by this brief consideration of how much you love us, move us to grief over our sin. Move us to gladness over our forgiveness. Move us to giving glory to you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, John Adams, who is the second president of the United States, for those of you who uh, maybe don't know your American history, wrote of one of his political rivals, and also a founding father of the, of the nation, Alexander Hamilton, after his death, vice, folly, and villainy are not to be forgotten because that guilty wretch repented in his dying moments. Woo! John Adams held a grudge, man. But the suffering servant of the prophet Isaiah teaches us that John Adams, at least in that moment, did not understand the good news of Jesus Christ. At least not insofar as he wrote those words. And if you are someone that struggles with holding a grudge or with self-hatred for your own mistakes, your own sin, and your own past, understanding the good news of Isaiah is going to be very, very important to you. If you are someone who, like Adams, had some self-loathing and some self-doubt, but also was very angry at those who stood in his way, or if you're just having, if you're just someone who's having a really hard time forgiving someone, or if you are someone who knows you need grace and mercy and love and forgiveness, then the good news of Isaiah is for you tonight. You see, uh, this, these servant songs, are, it's pretty much agreed uh, amongst Christians that all of these point and prophecy to Jesus Christ and the work that he would do. At least it's agreed amongst Christians that these are pointing to his life, death, and resurrection. And I hope that as we look at just a few aspects of this text, uh, you get a little bit deeper understanding of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Now, th- this is our Good Friday service. And maybe some of you don't know what that's all about. You see, this is the day, uh, roughly 2,000 years ago, that Jesus died on the cross. Probably about, if, if today were that day, about three, afternoon, three this afternoon, He would have died. And so this whole service has been sort of somber because we're relating with those disciples whom, though the good news is there, though their sins have been paid for, they were in sorrow because they didn't understand fully yet. But we do. And so we get the encouragement of the entire good news, uh, even tonight. 
And I hope that as we look at Jesus on the cross, you can also figure out at least two ways that Jesus on the cross helps us in daily life. Aside from the fact that, you know, he saved us from the eternal wrath and curse of God, which isn't exactly a little thing. (laughs) In fact, that is the thing. That is the thing that if you don't get it, none of this will matter. And I hope that as we get just a sliver of the good news and look at this passage, we're going to see Jesus as priest and how Jesus as priest helps us when we're feeling guilty and when we need to forgive others. And yes, even in a short homily, you're getting three points, somewhat alliterated. Jesus the priest, feeling guilty and forgiving others. And just fair warning, I'm mostly dealing with verses 4 through 13. So if you're like, why didn't he talk about verses, about chapter 52 and verses 1 through 3? Because I'm trying to make this short. <laughs> so, first, Jesus is priest. Uh, verse after verse of this text would have been familiar to the Israelites hearing it, because it's all the language of priestly work. Uh, you know, it's in this larger context about the restoration of Israel after judgment, but it gets personal real fast. It starts using second person singular, you, in the Hebrew. God, through Isaiah, is talking to individuals as much as to the people. And when he starts bringing in the imagery of the Day of Atonement, Leviticus 6, that's all uh, 16, Leviticus 16, uh, about all of that um, you know, sprinkling language and all of that making atonement, justifying, counting righteous language. This is all priestly language that they would have recognized from what they were instructed to do to make atonement for their sins. What they were to have a priest to do, to have their iniquity atoned for, primarily through animal sacrifices. These were all actions the priest went through so that the people could be forgiven. And yet this servant here doesn't just bring the lamb or make the sacrifice of the lamb. Verse 7 says this servant is the lamb. This servant doesn't just make the payment on your behalf. Verse 11 says this servant, this priest is the payment. There is no greater passage in the entire Bible, whether in the Old Testament or the New, that explains what Jesus has done for us better than this passage. And that's why this passage is quoted over and over again in the New Testament by Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, and Peter. Because this passage makes it clear that in order for there to be true and everlasting forgiveness of sins, no mere animal sacrifice will do. The disturbing disturbing fact of Christianity is our religion is one of human sacrifice. Jesus Christ, the man, God become a man, had to die if we were to have a peaceful relationship with God. Because only God become a man could pay for our sins. And the language here makes this all incredibly personal to the servant. 
Dying for your sins, my friends, was personal to Jesus. Because He loved you, and He loves you. And verse 4 indicates that He comforts us. He not only wants to pay for our sins, but He is with us right now. He is risen. I know we're not there yet, but i got to tell you, it may be Friday, but to quote the great sermon, Sundays are coming. He is with us even now, in our suffering and in our sorrow, to comfort us. And even intercede for us, verse 12 says. My friends, that means Jesus is praying for us. Praying for you. Right now. And verse 10 says that this was also personal for our Father in Heaven. Right? It was the will of Yahweh to crush this servant for our iniquities and so make us righteous. God knew what had to happen for Him to be just and yet have us as His children. And God so loved the world that He gave His only Son so that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Now, that's just a little taste. In fact, in the original version of this, this was a full sermon because there's just so many beautiful, wonderful aspects of this text that make it clear how beautiful and how personal God has been in saving us from our sin. But I'll give you, an, I'll give you a taste of that in a different sermon. Tonight, I, I just want to say, if you are feeling guilty about things, if you are trapped in your shame, this is good news for you tonight, meant to free you. But some of us are very uncomfortable with someone else having to make things right for us. Some of us are very uncomfortable with someone else doing stuff for us. In fact, some of you have parents that are getting a little older and they insist on doing everything themselves even when they shouldn't, don't you? And some of you are those parents. Well, one thing you've got to understand when it comes to your relationship with God is you need someone else to do it for you. You need a priest. You need someone to come in and do everything. And that person has already done it. His name is Jesus. And some of us say we know that, but are we really living that way? Do we really have an attitude of dependence and humility that reflects that. Or sometimes, not depending on Jesus as priest, expresses itself another way. You see, I know some of you feel utterly guilty and ashamed of things you've done in your past, and that shame is driving everything you do. It's why you work so hard, or it's why you won't talk to people. Or it's why you're so quick to judge others. You know your sin. You know the things you're struggling with. And you desperately want to make up for it. And you would be very, very embarrassed if I were to call you out in front of everyone right now. Because you know, you feel 
in your bones that all we like sheep have gone astray. And you feel like you've gone more astray than others. And I'm here to tell you tonight, you haven't. Oh, you've gone plenty astray with all the rest of us. Don't get me wrong. But you haven't gone more astray than anyone else. You especially have not done anything so truly terrible that you can be outside of what the suffering servant can pay for. You have, you've done truly terrible things, sure. But just to make you feel a little bit better, the hearts of those of us who haven't are just full of pride and hatred and things we would be absolutely ashamed about if the world could only hear our inner world. Trust me, if you could hear what goes through my head, you wouldn't socialize with me. And I want to tell all of us that our sin has created a debt that cannot be paid, and if we try to pay it ourselves, we're going to wind up on an endless treadmill because the bill is coming due, and we are not going to be able to pay it. But Jesus, the suffering servant, has come in and fully done all that we needed to do so that we are accounted righteous. He's taken the debt upon Himself. Your sin has been dealt with at the cross. And so, while you do need to repent of your sin, you do not need to punish yourself for your sins. Some of you are punishing yourself because you think you deserve bad things. You don't, you don't deserve bad things anymore in Jesus Christ. Sure, repent, name your sin, make a plan to change, but don't have part of your repentance be trying to make up for your sin or punish yourself for your sin. Jesus has already taken care of that. When Zacchaeus vowed to pay back what he'd stolen fourfold, he wasn't doing it to make up for what he'd done. It was a joyous response to the fact that he knew that everything he had already owed had been paid for, and it was a pleasure to make right what he had made wrong. Because that's what our priest, the suffering servant, has done and will do. Now, because Jesus is your priest who has done that for you, you also ought to do that for others. Once you're done dealing with feeling guilty, then you need to start forgiving others. And that's what the Apostle Peter was getting at in our call to worship, which was a paraphrase of Isaiah 53, which started with, He, that is, Jesus committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth, but rather, uh, to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in His steps. Right? A lot of people think that forgiving others is easy. Well, God did it for me, and it was easy for Him, right? Have you read Isaiah 53? He was oppressed, and He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. By oppression and judgment, He was taken away. He was cut off out of the land of the living. He was crushed for our iniquities. Forgiveness, my friends, is costly. He got buried in a grave with the wicked 
although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. My friends, that means that forgiveness is also going to be costly for us at times. Now, what does it mean then for us to forgive others? Well, a shameless plug for Sunday school, Pastor Mike and I are actually going to take a few weeks and talk about forgiveness here soon. But at the very least, it means that when you need to forgive someone, you need to count the costs. Because it is going to cost you emotionally and otherwise. You cannot forgive someone that you're not willing to take their debt upon you. And as long as you're not willing to pay their debt, as long as you're not willing to in some way do what they should have done, you haven't forgiven Yet, because forgiveness entails taking another's cost upon ourselves. That's what Jesus has done for us. And that's why we can only truly begin to forgive others when we know forgiveness ourselves. Because my friends, you have a wealth, right? You are going to receive the portion that Jesus was to receive. You're going to receive the spoil of the world that Jesus as the King, oh, He's a priest, but He's also a King who one day will come in victory and give you the spoils of that victory. You're going to receive that. So you have everything. And you have no debts. And you don't owe a thing. Do you know that you don't owe anything? Alexander Hamilton, who uh, John Adams wrote of, after his fateful duel with Aaron Burr, if you don't know, Alexander Hamilton died after having a shootout uh, with the Vice President of the United States, Aaron Burr. Uh, Politicians aren't any better today than they used to be, what can I say? He is reported to have called upon a couple of different pastors. And I'll tell you, I I actually think these stories are probably true. It's just my opinion. Uh, But as he spoke with them, he assured these pastors that he believed himself to be a sinner and that God's mercy alone could save him. And he assured them he believed in Jesus Christ as God, Lord, and Savior. And so while I'm not God, I, I can't judge him. I can tell you that Alexander Hamilton was an adulterer, a philanderer. I can tell you he was arrogant, and he was divisive, and at times he was a liar, and he was slanderous, and he neglected to join the church. And all of those things are sin, heinous sin. But if he was being honest, if it is true that his faith was in Jesus alone as Savior, because he knew himself to be a sinner, and that God's mercy alone can rescue him, then upon his death, Adams was wrong. He said, vice, folly, and villainy are not to be forgotten because the guilty wretch repented in his dying moments. Adams is wrong. Because of Jesus Christ and the faith that Hamilton had in Christ, then his sins were separated as far as the east is from the west, and he was immediately received in the presence of Jesus to await the resurrection. And you too, friends, have that awaiting you. That is yours if your faith is in Christ. 
Because the suffering servant is your priest. And he has made the entire payment you owe. And so you will be allowed into heaven without making a single wrong right. Truly, if we are in Christ, we need not pay any debt because it was entirely covered by the suffering of our servant, priest, Jesus. Our iniquities are already punished and we don't need to punish ourselves. And dearly beloved, the Father loves us and counts us as righteous in His sight because Jesus has bore the sins of many and make, and even now makes intercession for the transgressors. Today is Good Friday. And Jesus hangs upon the cross. And we are even today weighed down with grief and sorrow. But we also have a deep well of spiritual resources to move forward from our captivity to shame and guilt to forgive those that have sinned against us even terribly, and to have hope in all things. And that well of resources is Jesus Christ, the suffering servant, our priest. And that resource is good news. Good news for all of you who need it. Good news for all of us. For all of these things as we embrace it. And as we embrace it, <laughs> there will be healing in our lives. Because surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions and He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And here's some good news, friends. With His wounds taken upon the cross, we are healed. Let's pray. Almighty God, we beseech You graciously to behold this Your family, for whom our Lord Jesus Christ was willing to be betrayed and given into the hands of sinners and to suffer death upon the cross. He who now lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.